Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach, Aguten Chodesh, it's Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, second day of Rosh Chodesh and the first day of the month of Tammuz. Well, when we asked Dove Lippman to come on to speak about travel, to speak about uh, the diaspora, and to speak about the coalition, uh, it only struck us afterwards that he really could talk about this coalition. After all, when he served in Knesset, he was with the Eshatid party. Many of you may recall, former member of Knesset, now an outspoken advocate for Olim and their families, and frankly, many other important causes in Israel. Dove Lippman is with us live via telephone. Dove Lippman, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum. It's great to be with you. Appreciate that very much. Let's start with this, uh, and, and I don't even know if it's fair to ask you, because I don't know if anybody knows. We've heard this rumor, it came out of Israel yesterday from a government official, that there will be, let's call it for a moment, free travel. Obviously, you know, proof of vaccination, likely some type of testing will be required, but that's nothing compared to what you need now to get from the U.S. to Israel. And that all this would be happening starting on July the 1st. Can you either confirm or deny this very exciting rumor? So uh, I don't want to be a downer. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> hurt people's excitement. Uh, there was an announcement by the Minister of Tourism that they are meeting their goal, which was that by July 1st, they should be able to open the borders for those who are vaccinated. However, not so long afterwards, the health ministry said we have not been part of that decision whatsoever, not so fast. So that's first of all. So we have to take a few steps backwards and see exactly what that means. Uh, I do believe, just from my involvement in the process, that there will be some significant advancement. But everyone has to understand that we don't exactly know what that means because there's been a lot of concern about what is proof of vaccination. People could just make up their own proofs, and therefore Israel has to verify. So whatever it's going to be, it will be progress. But no one should assume at the moment that this means that July 1st, anyone who's vaccinated can hop on a plane, no issues whatsoever. We're going to have to see how it plays out over the next few days. And remember, we have a new health minister coming in on Sunday. We have a new interior minister coming in, transportation minister. Uh, there's a lot of factors involved here. It'll take a few days to sort through it. Even with the transition, and you just used the expression days, in all seriousness, a week from today, should we know a lot more? I do know that it's going to be at the top of the agenda for a lot of the new ministers. I know that myself, uh, I've already made contact with ministers and their staffs, and they all said we have to get into office, give us a few days. But it is at the top of their agenda. They do realize that there is a very significant crisis that's going on. When I describe to them what I'm experiencing on a daily basis, the people who are helping me, where it's literally day, night, late into the night, early morning, people suffering stress, sadness, the chaos, uh, waiting to hear back from consulates, interior ministries, people waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go wait online. It's chaos. And no one wants anyone to be experiencing this kind of chaos, certainly not new ministers who are coming in. They will have to study the situation, but we do plan on presenting it to them, and we do feel that, that will also be an impetus towards improved rules and processes. I, re- I really shouldn't spend much time on this next question, but I'm just so curious so you can give us a 30-second answer. Uh, I want to be fair to the listeners regarding the news of the day, but you're an American kid. I'm curious about your batting average. In the last 15 months, I can only imagine how many people contacted you about getting to Israel, many of them for really, really important reasons. I'm not at all minimizing that. What, what's your batting average? Do you, think, do you think you were able to help and get into Israel a significant number of those who were trying? 
the good news is that a 300 hitter is considered to be a good hitter, right? <laughs> so, yep. uh, so if I look at it that way, look at it that way, I, you know, it could be an all-star team possibility, you know, hitting 300, scoring <laughs> some runs here and there. Um, it's, it, it's a very hard, it's a very hard process. Um, there's no doubt that on a daily basis, there are people who we do get in, we do get in touch with consulates, we do get in touch with the interior ministry, people who are waiting down to the hour. I have to leave to the airport now. Can I get my approval? And on a daily basis, there are numbers that we do get succeed in getting in and getting them their, their approval. But uh, the hard part of this is there's a large number that we are not able to succeed in helping, and the consulates are a few weeks behind. They're completely overwhelmed, uh, understaffed. I mean, they're working their hearts out. The Interior Ministry is that they're collapsing, uh, the, the branches, because of the number of emails and requests that they've been getting. And, and that's why I say, yes, there have been successes. And I'll also say we've also succeeded on a broader level in terms of getting policies changed. And right. I'm not going to sit here and take credit myself for that. Uh, there have been many people involved, myself, Michal Kotler, one from the Knesset, people at Nefesh Benefesh. There's definitely been a lot of people lobbying and working for change, and we've definitely succeeded uh, along the way. But now we're waiting for this big breakthrough, because the bottom line is, uh, thank God Israel is doing so well uh, with the vaccinations, and if they are proving to be so successful, there's really no reason why we can't put in clear mechanisms, clear testing, and get people in here who are vaccinated. But I do have to point out, nothing. this is important. There are a lot of questions today about this. Even if they say that people who are vaccinated come in, that does not mean that their children who are unvaccinated can come in. Right. And it means that even if their children below the age of six are allowed to come in, they may still have, may still have to do two, two weeks of quarantine. So right. everyone really has to take a step backwards and pause and really analyze exactly what the new rules and policies will be. All right, honestly, I'm, I'm hoping that a week from today we know a lot more. Dove Lipman is with us from Israel, former member of Knesset. Um, the, uh, you know, it's funny, we, we, we are watching carefully, and I'm sure on your side of the world you're watching it even more carefully, this coalition develop, uh, many of us predicting, not really a bold prediction, frankly, because <laughs> the likelihood is I still think that this whole thing will fall apart, but who knows, it's very possible the way it's going, it will not fall apart, because they're ready to go to a vote, it looks like, sometime on Sunday or Monday. Now you, because of your political experience in Israel, really can speak about this coalition. You were a member of the Eshatid party at one point, and they obviously are one of the linchpins to this entire agreement. Do you think, number one, that this coalition is going to be formed next week? And number two, do you think it has some lasting potential? So the coalition, as far as I can tell, and everyone I've spoken to, will be formed uh, sometime late Sunday. Uh, it'll be presented to the Knesset. Their first vote is going to be replacing the Speaker of the Knesset with Mickey Levy from Yishatid, who is actually an incredible person and a great friend, and I'm really excited and happy for him, and I think he'll do a great job. But in terms of your question, you cannot underestimate, and most people do not understand this, the relationship between Yair Lapid and Naftali Bennett. That relationship began before the elections in 2013, and there's a frost. That is an ability to sit together and work through issues that is not always the norm in Israeli politics. And that is, that from my perspective, is what gives this coalition uh, a possibility uh, of lasting longer than many would think. Now, uh, obviously, when you have a far reaching coalition from Yamina and New Hope, which outflanks Likud on the right, to Merit and Labor on the left, uh, it's very complicated, and they're going to have to make sure that everyone keeps their strong uh, ideologies to themselves and tries to govern, you know, in a broad socioeconomic uh, structure and, and, and platform, and that's what they're going to try to do. Yeah, and don't forget, uh, don't forget about the don't forget about the Arab Party. I mean, you didn't even mention them. Yes, now, 
Correct. Now, the Arab party, I think a lot of people uh, are misunderstanding exactly what's happening there. The Arab uh, party has lost a third of their seats in these past elections because the Israeli Arab population is sick and tired of their uh, elected officials only talking about the Palestinian issue, being anti-Israel nationalistic on that front, and they want help. They need help in education, in welfare, in health, in crime fighting, and all these kinds of other issues. And Mansour Abbas from the Ram Party has basically said, I'll put aside all the other uh, aspects, and let's focus on that, which is a smart political move for him. If he keeps to that, if he keeps to that and is able to keep his members of Knesset in check, then they have the potential of being these coalition partners who get what they need and allow the 61 to continue. I'm not saying it's going to happen. And if, God forbid, we have a security situation, they're going to be in a real difficult spot, because then what do they do? Right. And that also could lead to the entire thing collapsing. Dove Lippman is with us from Israel, you know, and, and, and I'm sure you're, you, I mean, look, I don't have to, I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to preach to you about being out there and being associated with your Lapid. It's something you've been doing for a decade in one way, shape, or form. I know you actually left the party in, in, in 2018 officially, etc. I, I get all that, but, you know, I, I'm sure you have suffered uh, for being somebody who's willing to, you know, sit down with him and uh, and and you know try to uh, progress and 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 you know do positive things. Uh, Naftali Bennett is obviously the target, especially from the uh, Haredi community of uh, of tremendous hatred right now because of what he's agreeing to do. Lapid, it seems, has never had a good reputation in many different parts of Israel, whether it be from the political right wing or the religious right wing. Uh, I, I can't imagine that there's an English speaker. Certainly someone like yourself who knows Yair Lapid better than you do. What can you tell us about the real Yair Lapid as opposed to what we see in the media and what his haters are always saying? Uh, I, I can say, having spent hours talking with him both on politics and ideology, even talking about Torah, hosting him for a perm suit in our home, uh, is a different person that's portrayed in the media. Uh, again, you can disagree with his ideology to pull up politics, but as a person uh, caring, uh, cares deeply about Israel, uh, just think for a moment, has there been everyone, anyone who has ever given up the premiership uh, when they have far more right. seats than the other person just right. for the sake of a new government? Right. Uh, good, decent, upstanding, uh, and, uh, you know, secular in his background, uh, Believing in God, by the way, he even talked about, you know, his father was not. His father was a Holocaust survivor who suffered terribly in the not, but the Yair does. Um, you know, they're culturally very Jewish in terms of various practices. And I think a uh, far more center than uh, right. people paint him as, and far more sensitive to the religious side than people assume. Dove Lippman, is it possible, is it possible... And again, I know that I will regret this when I walk into shul tomorrow morning, no matter what shul I go to. <laughs> Is it possible that Yair Lapid and, and whatever anti-Haredi rhetoric he espouses... Is it possible that he is concerned about the political and practical future of Israel and he's not necessarily a hater of or anti-Haredi people or Haredi life? You know what? Forget that, that I'm standing on the phone. If Moshe Gaffney, okay, was on the phone with you right now, the head of Degala Torah, and was being honest the way he talks in closed doors, he would say uh, it's not a place of hatred, it's not anti-religion, it's trying to find a way to make things work in Israel, right. which includes an agenda that has Haredim who are not sincerely studying Torah day and night as their only pursuit, finding a way to balance Torah study with serving the country and working. That's what he would say. Do you think I can walk into Shul tomorrow morning? 
<laughs> if I manage to do so and people greet me with a smile, you'll be okay. By the way, that's not even a joke. That you've been able to navigate all this for a decade is frankly remarkable. Um, okay, Dove Lipman, uh, you know what's happening here. Again, on this side of the world, we see it a bit closer. You're 6,000 miles away, but it is scary. We're in a challenging time where government officials who normally support Israel and the Jewish people are not speaking out against the uh, anti-Semitism that's happening now in this country and random acts of anti-Semitism, aside from government officials who are saying anti-Semitic and anti-Israel things. Uh, They're being very quiet. That's on the government level. Uh, In terms of Jewish leadership, frankly... Many of us are disappointed that there isn't more of a strong reaction to what's going on in this country than uh, than is going on. And I'll and I'll tell you, and I think you'll get this. I'm not today. I'm not worried about Auschwitz. I'm, I'm not. I'm not thinking that you know. Right now, the U.S. is becoming a concentration camp. But I am concerned about Paris. I'm concerned that we're going to end up in a, in a place if we don't speak up and we don't take action, where you know you need military guards from the local you know national guard. Uh, to stand in front of schools and shuls and protect Jews day and night, as you, I'm sure you've seen in Paris and other European cities. Uh, yesterday, um, uh, Fleur Hassan uh, Nahum was with us, who I'm sure you know, and she was speaking about an actual solidarity mission from Israel to America. <laughs> like in the old days, it used to be in the reverse, but she was speaking about them coming a couple of weeks from now just to you know, to to pick up the ball and make some statements about what's going on here in this country and how people in Israel are standing with American jury and diaspora jury. Uh, I need to know your impressions of this whole situation. You grew up in this country. I'm sure you have certain very positive memories about being in this country. What do you, how do you feel we should be responding to all this in 2021? The first word that comes to mind, just in terms of what I see happening on my screen here, is heartbreak. Uh, having grown up in America, very openly Orthodox Jew, never experienced a moment of anti-Semitism in my life, playing in basketball, leading to the kippah, then making accommodations for Shabbat. Never, never experienced anything like this, and it's heartbreaking, it's scary. And there is a feeling in Israel of we need to do something for our brothers and sisters around the world. And I've certainly been in touch with Flora about the possibility of this mission, and we'll see exactly what's involved in it. Uh, one thing that I've learned, though, in, in traveling to parliaments around the world and college campuses, and even in some cases being shouted shout at and not being allowed to speak for a few minutes, is that uh, I, I, there's no solution to anti-Semitism, meaning I do agree we have to speak out, we have to be vocal, we have to point out the connection that anti-Semitism is racism, just like any other hatred towards any specific group, and, and try to make that connection. Uh, but ultimately, when it's all said and done, we speak out, we do what we can, there has to be protection and everything else. I don't believe, having sat in meetings, having been in, 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 in parliaments in South Africa and other places in Europe where you just see amongst parliament members the, the anti-Semitism, there's no solution to it. It's just something that we have to speak out against, be, be thinking about, protect our kids, and let everybody be proud Jews in the face of it. Uh, but I don't see a way to solve it, per se. And that's something which is very hard and very difficult. But sitting with intelligent people, and by the way, I've made the connection, as many have, between anti-Zionism being anti-Semitism, because you sit with people and share facts, figures, realities, and they still side with Hamas, and they still see Israel as monsters. There's no other way to explain it other than anti-Semitism. And all we can do, yes, we cannot be quiet. We have to speak out. 
We have to be loud. We have to be proud of Jews. The response has to be to be proud Jews and not shy away. And I'm concerned for those kids on college campuses, who are the ones that I'm in contact with, who do feel like crawling into a cave and running away from their Judaism. And that's what we really have to try to fight against and bolster them. Not fight the anti-Semitism, but really more bolster the Jewish pride. Yeah, I think think you're right. The college campus is going to be a really, really big challenge, especially coming up in the fall. And uh, in addition to that, I think people who work in workplaces and and even in government establishments uh, that, uh, you know, insist on releasing, you know, anti-Israel statements or, you know, insist that their employees sign on to um, anti-Israel proclamations, whatever the case may be. I mean, the pressure that's put on those people is immense and we need to support them. It, It must be frightening to you. It has to be sad and frightening to you, though, on my first point. That government officials who, and you know what Congress is like here, you know the support that Israel and the Jewish community of the United States gets from Congress. It must be sad and frightening to you that the typical members of the United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate are just staying silent on this issue. I would have definitely expected uh, louder voices, that's for sure, and I think that behind the scenes there's certainly lobbying going on for that. Um, you know, you certainly want to see people speak out. Again, I have seen elements that have spoken out, but you certainly want to see it, you know, unanimous and across the board and very, very loud and very, very clear. Uh, I will tell you, I remember when I was in South Africa, and this is what concerns me the most, uh, when I met with members of parliament, who seemed to side with the Jews and Israel, but they told me I can't say anything because my constituents are largely Muslim. Right. And I always wonder myself, does that mean that there's some kind of a changing tide on the ground in a lot of these congressional districts where congressmen who might want to support Israel, the Jewish people, are, are cautious with their words and how they say it and what volume because they're looking towards their re-election every two years, which means that there's a change happening on the ground in the United States uh, on a deeper level than we even can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Look, there's a there's a well-known United States senator who took on President Obama when he said certain things about Israel, who's always been out there when um, uh, when the Iran deal situation came up, took the right side on that, took the right side in the 2014 war in Gaza and on this issue and in this period of time between the most recent uh, war and, and the anti-Semitism issue has been completely silent. And I have a feeling that you're 100% right that someone like that Senator is simply worried about re-election and protecting uh, protecting his own powerful future. Let's put it that way. Very, Absolutely. Very sad. What can I tell you? Uh, Dove Lipman, first of all, you, you alluded to me uh, off the air that you might have a major announcement in the next couple of weeks. If you do, certainly feel free to join us again here at JMDM, and I certainly thank you for your time. And I hope we'll be able to reunite very soon in Israel because, frankly, after yesterday's announcement, I started the process of making a July reservation to get to the Holy Land. And like I said to you earlier, I hope a week from now I'm not disappointed. I do hope so, and I'll definitely check back in with you with updates about that and also uh, with the uh, new organization, which is going to play a role in this whole story as well. Much appreciated, and Shabbat Shalom to you. Thank you, Shabbat Shalom. Dove Lippman, former member of Knesset, worked with Yair Lapid. Look up his biography, folks. You'll see it. I don't think there's any Orthodox Jew who worked with Yair Lapid as closely as uh, Dove Lipman did. And um, there he is on an Arab Shabbat here Friday morning at JMN.